I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for exactly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, according to my detailed scientific records, the first episode of the co-main event podcast dropped May 23rd, 2012. So 10 years ago to the day that we sit here recording this episode this week. When you and I started recording this podcast, we were both in our early 30s. Neither of us had children. If I'm not mistaken, we were both gainfully employed at the time. (laughs) So you could say it's a whole different world over the last decade. Personally, professionally, out there in society at large, Mm -hmm. the CME has surfed some treacherous waters my guy, over the last 10 years. And here we are, at least for the moment, still alive, still swinging, still out here talking into a microphone every week for all of the little co-maniacs out there. Uh, It's been a crazy time. It has been a crazy time. I wish I had known further in advance that this was 10 years to the day. Because if ever there was going to be an episode for us to both uh, murder each other live. Like, like I put coffee or I put poison in your coffee at the same time as you have rigged something heavy to fall on my head during the live stream. And we were both thinking, well, okay, we'll have an alibi. Cause we were both at, each, uh, at our own houses. I couldn't possibly. And it's like, we both had the idea. This would have been a great one to go out on like just a double murder episode done huge numbers. I got to think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah, a lot yeah. of impressions on social media and, I guess it's kind of a CME typical move that we we spaced on the date. <laughs> didn't didn't plan our double murder. I think of myself as an explosives guy. So okay. uh I probably would have gone something in that route for you. And you know, like I always say, if you are gonna engage in an intricate uh double murder plot, make sure you get a lot of social media impressions. That's yeah. that's far and away the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. You got to maximize it on Instagram. Otherwise, what's the point? 
you know, you might as well just continue living. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I had known that we would have been doing this ten, for 10 years, if when we had sat down and started this, I had known we'd still be sitting here a decade later doing this. I might've made some different choices, man. I don't know. I might've taken better care of myself. As far as I know, I'm a, you know, it's, I thought we were just on a lark here on a fling. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'd have, I'd have burned those koozies in a giant bonfire a lot sooner. Yeah. That's what I would have done differently. I mean, at least you got to it eventually, right? Hey, uh, just hope that they don't check my carry on when I'm headed to Las Vegas for the CME 10 year meetup, because they're going to be like, sir, we need to look inside here, unzip it. And then koozies just spill everywhere on the floor of the airport. Charred, slightly charred koozies (laughs) everywhere on the floor of the airport. Uh, We got a lot to talk about this week. UFC fight night over the weekend down there at the apex. Ketlin Vieira emerges with a split decision win over Holly Holm in the main event. Michel Pereira defeats Santiago Ponzinibbio, another split decision in the co-main event. Uh, Some other big wins on this card from, shall we say, notables in the MMA world. Uh, You also had Friday night over on the free flex cast, uh, Eagle FC, with another one of their American broadcasts. We're going to mix in a little uh, Eagle FC talk as well on this show. And oh, by the way, your dude Anderson Silva out here pushing 50, still just smoking fools in the boxing ring. We're going to talk a little bit about Anderson Silva, a course, and a whole lot more. This is your reminder that you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This podcast drops every afternoon on Mondays for free in your timeline and podcast libraries. Don't forget to go out there and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash co-main event. If you think we're having fun right now. You absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there with three additional podcasts every single week. We got the Wednesday live chat, Thursdays doing the damn thing, the Friday power hour podcast. It's fun. We got a official message board where the people congregate. You know, there's a thread right now up there on the official co-main event podcast message board for the 10th anniversary. People are in there sharing their recollections of how they found the podcast and how long uh, they've been with us. It's a, it's a lot of fun to see the various ways different people came to the CME. So that's something you could get in on if you were over here uh, as a beloved patron of the co-main event. I know that there's a lot of you out there who've been listening to us for a long time. Thank you for that. We appreciate the support. We literally wouldn't still be here doing it if not for you guys listening to the show. And if any of you have been waiting for a prime opportunity to jump over on the Patreon, find out what's going on over there behind the curtain. This might be your chance, man. 10th anniversary, good time. Good time to get in there and join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash co-main event. That will get you over there. We got music this week from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or over at YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And as you guys all know by now, the word soul in funk soul brother is spelled s-e-o-u-l because that's where he lives soul that's the part that makes it clever soul brother we got three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one okay look we're gonna have to put some kind of upper limit 
on these so-called judging controversies. Some kind of a cap. We can't do this. We can't do this every week, you guys. It's exhausting. We're good for about one judging controversy a month. No more than that. None. And in round number two, on Friday night, Eagle FC found out the downside of putting on fights with all these old-ass weirdsmobiles. And in round number three, Anderson Silva is out here living his best life. Just feels good, you know? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Hey, uh... I'm just curious. You mentioned on discussions on the the Discord. Is there any? Uh, did anybody go and start a thread about how well my bets did this week? Because I saw you, Chad Dundas, on the Twitter talking that shit, talking that bullshit, that absolute garbage rot. What did I do? I didn't talk shit to you this week, mm-hmm. did I? Mm-hmm. I saw you on the Twitter. Oh yeah, you were talking shit before the fights went down, and then your man went uh, three and one. In the black this week, up over thirty dollars. I don't. I don't recall talking return. any talking any shit this oh, week. Oh yeah, I, you don't recall. I, this is I the, felt the, like the, I was feeling uh, feeling pretty bad for you last week. I don't feel like I would have kicked you while you were down. Uh huh. This is you're doing it now. I see where your kids get the impulse to just go with amnesia as their defense when well, uh, do, when they're found out. I don't recall. Do don't you recall have the receipts? Anything. What's what's out there? What's uh, uh, I recall, I've, I was looking at the Twitter where you were responding to our man, Sean Sheehan, talking about all these people losing oh, their money okay, gambling. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, yeah. I, it's I all, do remember it's all coming now. back to you. Yeah. All coming back to you now. Three and one this week. Head of steam. Unstoppable machine. Uh, that's another thing people get access to if they join us over on Patreon. It's the Friday Power Hour. Where we play $20 we never want to see again. I'm telling you, uh, I was... Laying down the first bricks on the path to financial independence this week with my bets. And I see no reason why that won't continue indefinitely. You know what? That was just some light teasing is what I would describe that as. Just some light Mm -hmm. teasing. Talking that shit. The truth is, this is the first week in a long time you've been positive. The first week uh, in anyone's ability to remember that you have turned a profit on your bets. We all feel good for you, man. Congratulations. You know, a lot of people say anyone can have one good week and the proof sometime is in the consistency. So we'll see where we go from here. Uh, But yeah, nice week. You had a great week. Good job. Goddamn right I did. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our guys at Fulton and Rourke. As we we said last week, it's damn near summer out there. It's uh, it's sunny and warm and uh, downright seasonal out there in Missoula, Montana right now. If, if you get out there, you're strutting around, showing your stuff out of the house. It's time to freshen up your whole smell game, man. Check out Fulton and Rourke's line of solid colognes. Uh, use the body wash. You can get the the uh, the face wash. I still have the aftershave uh, pads, man, that you can uh, rub down your face after you shave. Makes you feel all fresh, clean, ready to go out there and face the day. It's the finest grooming products that i personally have ever come across i use my fulton and work stuff every damn day and people are constantly commenting on how i smell yep can't go anywhere in a positive way i mean oh okay i mean i have gotten some messages about you in the past but that was before you got tipped to fulton and rourke 
Yeah, so. see, a whole new game. I got a whole new Aroma Toolbox out there. Tons of cool stuff going on at Fulton & Rourke. If you want to check it out for yourself, Co-Main Event Podcast listeners can save 15% on their first purchase uh, with the coupon code if you nasty. That's all one word. If you nasty, go over to fultonandrourke.com and check it out. Our first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Oscar Eagle, who writes, watching young Chase Hooper level up and put in a good performance at 22 made me think about another BJJ ace, Charles Oliveira, who started maybe too young in the UFC, won some, lost some, but steadily improved and became the best in the world. What do you guys think the upside could be for this young man? Ben Folks, how about a TKO win? for Chase Hooper over the weekend over Felipe Corrales in a preliminary fight down there at 145 pounds on this UFC fight night event. Uh, You know, when we started this uh, podcast, Chase Hooper was 12 years old. Okay, that puts in perspective. That sounds like a joke, but that's actually just truth. Chase Hooper was 12 years old when we started the co-main event podcast at 22. Now he is out there winning UFC fights. And I know a lot of people made this comment. I'm certainly not alone in it. Uh, But Chase Hooper, more than anything to me, looked like he belonged out there. Looked like, uh, and I think he spoke to this in the pre-fight saying that he had given too much uh, respect or uh, too much deference maybe to some of his past opponents. He looks like he's made maybe big psychological leaps in terms of of uh, how he thinks about himself in there. It looks like he has made big physical leaps in there for how he's doing. The striking looked decent. He's out here with takedowns, and you get the guy on the, on the mat. Oh, you're in trouble. You know what they call it? Flowy. That's how I would describe it. That's okay. what's going on down there uh, mm-hmm. for Chase Hooper. So he gets this win. Picks up the performance of the night bonus, which has got to be nice. Uh, improves his UFC record now to three and two. And it, I mean, you don't want to get too out in front of yourself talking about a young guy like Chase Super because there's no real way to tell where he's going to end up. But but just from a skills perspective, you kind of get the impression uh, the sky is sort of the limit for his potential. Yeah, he's much improved from what we saw of him, you know, a year or two ago. And that's encouraging. There's still some, there's some openings that he provides you. And some of it is by just trying to do so much. Like his, his grappling game, it's just constant movement, basically. He's always working for something, which I appreciate. But he's also, at times, he's going to give you some openings if you're there to, to pay attention and to seize on them. So it's not exactly as tight as it could be, yeah. I guess. One of the things I always wonder about is when you see somebody who started in this sport so young, and I know here we're, we're making the, the comparison we start off with is Charles Oliveira as somebody who came in, had a lot of talent, was uh, in the UFC at a really young age, and maybe people wrote him off too soon just because they are looking at some of the losses he had early in his career and didn't fully take into account that that was not the finished product yet. The guy was still getting better and learning and improving. And that's always possible. The other thing, though, that I wonder about sometimes is when you see somebody who you know, started an amateur career when they were a teenager, was uh, turning pro as soon as they were legally of age. You know, The guy's been in the UFC like at that level since 2019, and he's only 22. And I worry about those guys burning brightly and getting burned out. Yeah, Because how many people have we seen who come up? I mean, Charles Oliveira is sort of the exception to the rule. A lot of times what we've seen is guys who 
are really blazing out the gates at 19 or 20. They're a phenom. People are getting excited about them in their early 20s. And by 30, they're kind of done. Yeah. Because they just, they spent it all. And that's where you really hope, I guess, that he has good management and a good team in the gym to make sure that we're learning, growing, improving, but we're not just burning it all uh, right away. We're not we're not getting them overmatched in, in fights. We're not sparring in such a way that we're leaving a lot of it in the gym, that we're kind of taking care of it and looking at the long game a little bit. Yeah, and you're right. There is no way to forecast where these, these young guys are going to end up. And if you've been around the sport for a while, you know not only is the burnout real, not only does it uh, sometimes feel like you've got a finite amount of tread on the tires. And when that wears down, sometimes you, you, you know, you find yourself aging more quickly than, than uh, some other people in the sport, but also there's just so many damn ways for it to go wrong, right? There's a million different ways that this sport can trip you up and that you can uh, encounter adversity and, and stuff that sidetrack your career. And I guess on the positive end of things for Chase Hooper, seems like a smart guy. Yes. Uh, seems really delightful. I don't, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Chase Hooper, uh, if you're out here being like, fuck Chase Hooper, that probably says more about you than it does about, uh, absolutely Chase yeah. Hooper. Uh, he seems like he's going about his career in kind of a smart way. He's talking in the post fight press conference after this fight that he's in no hurry, that he doesn't see any need to rush this. I believe he said the, uh, Sean O'Malley approach is always a good one, which I don't know that that's a hundred percent a compliment, but also, uh, seems to map out at least some patience from Chase Hooper's point of view. And you just look at the matchmaking. They gave him Alex Caceres in his second UFC fight, which was probably a little bit too much. But since then, I think it's been uh, about what you'd want for a guy like this. And he goes out there against Corrales, a guy that he had a, a pretty big size advantage over, but a guy who was tough and a guy who had some skills uh, that maybe could have been a problem. But Hooper pretty much mauled him and uh, did a lot of nice stuff. I think you're right. He's one of these guys that he's he's so good at jujitsu, he will frequently kind of put himself into a bad position trying to get a submission when uh, position and, and ground and pound or uh, control would be more in keeping with conventional wisdom, I guess you would say, in how most guys fight in MMA. I'll take it, frankly, because I like the excitement of it. Yeah. Uh, if I was his coach, I might tell him there are some times when we don't necessarily need to aggressively go out there and put ourselves on the bottom because we think we got a triangle or an arm bar or whatever. But for the most part, I like what I see from Chase Hooper. I think it's going to be fun to continue to track his trajectory in this sport. And uh, he's, he's, he's got all the makings of a guy who could get better and better for a long period of time. If there's one thing, and they talked about this during the broadcast, uh, that would give me a little bit of pause. Like right now he's at featherweight, which is a very competitive weight class up around the top, up around the elite. And, you know, they said during the broadcast, Chase Hooper's future might be at lightweight as he continues to to fill out his form and get a little older. So you're basically talking about taking this guy uh, and he'll be fighting in the most competitive divisions in all of mixed martial arts. Uh, and, and so like, the, you know, that that's going to be a problem for anybody. And it could be a problem for Chase Hooper as he continues to mature but it's a hell of a story, man, and I'm just happy to kind of be along for the ride. You're saying if only he could bulk all the way up to heavyweight. Yeah, skip, future could skip be a lot of steps. Yes, uh-huh. yeah, couple more, a uh, couple more stoppage wins. He could be staring down a uh, a matchup with you know whoever is going to be the champion up there. It could be could be Chase Hooper versus Ty Tuivasa to start uh, 2023. All Chase Hooper needs to do is get on a little bit more of an eating plan. Bulk. Yeah. He needs to go into bulking season. 
see if we can get maybe like a uh, a membership deal down there at the M&M store. Something maybe like there's got to be some kind of subscription plan at the yeah. M&M store, right? Maybe he could go down train with John Jones. Okay. You know, you, do the power lifting, put the chains on the barbells. Don't. Okay. We're, we're joking and everything, but don't, don't put that out in the world of, you're going to take this sweet young boy, Chase Hooper and send him <laughs> down there to John Jones. And John Jones would be like, kid, you ever been to the strip club? <laughs> and you know, the next thing you know, it's uh 3am in yeah. a parked car across the street. And he's being like, uh, go ahead. Let's just take some target practice, man. Go ahead. Like you, you're you're playing with fire there. Chase Hooper comes home with a shaved head and a face tattoo and a vape pen after he's been training with John Jones for a little while. Next uh, question. Or he suffers an accidental gunshot wound and John Jones <laughs> keeps telling him to just be cool about it, man. <laughs> just be chill, bro. Uh, I'll take you to the butter- hospital, but you have to tell him you did it yourself. Just get your butterflies to fly in formation. Uh, the next question this week comes to us from Debo the Great. Okay. He writes, friends, speak on Michelle Pereira and the Ponzi scheme from Saturday night. The new version of Mickey P might not be as fun as the more flippy, spinny version, but it seems like he could be a beast at welterweight. Please discourse. Now, here's one thing that I noticed out here again in this Michelle Pereira-Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Uh, uh, Michelle Pereira is a huge fucking welterweight. He is. Just massive out there, making Santiago Ponzinibbio look like a small guy. And I tell you what, he may have done away with a lot of the funner aspects of the game, the flipping, the spinning, all that stuff. But uh, you let this guy get comfortable and control the distance, control the range, control the pace of the fight, and he can make your life pretty miserable. I think as Santiago Ponzinibbio found out, uh, the real interesting thing to me about Piera is when the when in I believe the second round, maybe like halfway through the second round, Santiago Ponzinibbio comes on a little bit and starts to you know be a little bit more aggressive, shut down some of Piera's offense and start to work his own stuff. You can almost see the guy not wilt exactly, but it's like a fine line of like, okay, I'm controlling this fight and I'm doing well. And then he encounters some adversity and it's just like, it's almost like a different guy out there. You know, I thought that this version actually was finding a pretty comfortable middle ground between the crazy flippy spinny version reference that would, kind of wear himself out early on and then the one who was trying to overcorrect maybe for that because here he is using his ability being such a big guy his ability to control the range and him also being kind of a hard guy to find in there when especially in that first round Ponzi you could see starting to look frustrated trying to track him down trying to just get to the guy get him to stop moving long enough to where you can get your offense going but then when he fires back he fires back with power Every time, basically. He's throwing that right hand hard. He's throwing those kicks to the body hard. And so that that's a, a tough guy to fight because it gets you in such a mode where you're thinking, I got to hunt this guy down. I got to make him stop. I got to pin him against the cage somehow and, and halt his movement. And then when you get your wish, when you do get him to stop and stand there and fight you, he hammers you. He hammers you with something and you could tell that it hurts. And sometimes it was like, you know, he was firing off short hooks and jabs and stuff. And you're like that. You can tell that that hurt Ponzinibbio yeah. or at least he didn't like it. He doesn't want to take too many of those. And you're right, though, that like once you get that guy into a dog fight by the third round where you're both bleeding and we're both swinging away at each other, you know, 
he doesn't mind that kind of fight either. He's comfortable with that as well. And so uh, a guy who can do both those things and knows how to moderate between them and isn't just all in one direction or the other, that's a increasingly dangerous version of that guy, especially with just that, that size and strength uh, in that weight class, man. Yeah, it does kind of feel like he has identified the most successful version of himself and is riding that now. He's got five wins in a row. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, probably the uh, the biggest one to boot, although wins over Nico Price and Chaos Williams also on that list. So uh, people that we've heard of before. I like one of the things I like about Michel Pierre is that he's put so much crazy shit on tape that you kind of have to respect it, even though yes. he's kind of fighting more conventionally now. But you can see these times during the fight where, you know, as you said, he's out there, he's throwing hard punches and he'll do this little like shimmy. He'll like do a little back step where it looks like, oh shit, I better get out of the way. He's about to do a fucking <laughs> somersault or some shit, but he doesn't do it. But at the same time, you know, the opponent's got to respect it because, because he's fully capable of doing that. You don't know he's not going to do that. So, uh, and then, you know, he just actually follows it up with like an overhand, right. That lands right behind your ear and probably doesn't feel great. Uh, he's a fun guy, man. He's a fun guy to have at 170. He's big. He's athletic. He's fun to watch. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily say future champion, but at the same time, he's a guy I'm glad to have around. He's 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 uh, a welcome addition at 170 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Pissed Off Lawyer, who writes, the year is 2025. So the near future. You all right? You okay, okay. over there? I'm all right. We're looking into the near future here. That's very near. I mean, that's not that far away. Yeah, okay. no, I, the, uh, the urgency of it made you choke. It sounded like, yeah. Okay. Ugh. The year is 2025. Dwayne, the rock Johnson has just been elected president of the United States. Pennsylvania Avenue Avenue is now known as jabroni drive. You watch UFC events live on a VR headset that make you feel like you're in the arena along with new technology that allows you to even smell the stale beer on the floor. Glover Teixeira is 45 years old and just choked out a man two decades younger than him, defending his UFC title for the eighth time in a row. What's your wildest long-term MMA prediction, whether it be one or two or three years down the road or even longer? How confident are you about it? And will you actively campaign for The Rock or just vote for him? So we're saying 2025 and The Rock has just been elected. So we're, we're thinking like January, like this is shortly after inauguration. Day yeah, 2025. I think so. Okay, yeah. so he wins in the 2024 election, Which the next not, presidential election. Does not pretty, give him a ton of time. To no, get he better started. get on it. Yeah, uh, but you know, pissed off lawyer, our guy. He makes he makes it clear you don't have to your your uh, your forecast, your long term MMA prediction doesn't have to be in the year 2025. It can be at any time during the future. Okay, here's a prediction. Have you seen the stuff the UFC is doing where? Uh, and in further attempts to plant more of a foothold in the Asian market, we're doing the kind of like road to the UFC yeah. type stuff. I just saw the uh, pairings, right, for the tournament. The big homie Aaron Bronstetter had the pairings out for a couple of these tournaments over in Asia that they're doing. And uh, it looks like they got some legit dudes in those tournaments, at least. Here's my prediction. The UFC is going to continue to find more ways to... Create these sort of opportunities for to to get into MMA fight to get into the, the UFC and to 
maybe even extend this to like uh, a version of the Dana White Contender Series that extends to like amateurs and stuff. But basically, the UFC is going to lean into the this is not a career, this is an opportunity style thinking and try to get more and more content out of cheaper and cheaper talent. And I think that they've seized on stuff like this, like the Dana White Contender Series, the Road to the UFC Tournament, stuff like that where we're saying like, hey, maybe these aren't marquee names that you know already and that we're going out and signing, you know, spending big money to sign free agents or even spending big money to keep our own champions under contract. Instead, we're going to sell you on the idea that all these are just hungry young fighters who are looking for this opportunity who are, are all gathered here today to, to try to fight for the chance to be something because it's content and it's way, way cheaper. And as the way the Fortitas once said of Conor McGregor and then denied that they said, it's a penny stock approach. You only need one in a whole bunch to pay off. And it works out for you financially. I think that the UFC is going to continue to find more and more ways to do that. And to sort of present it to us as, like, isn't this an exciting tale of uh, rags to not quite riches? Yeah. Uh, So you're saying more vertical control, essentially, over the industry, uh, taking on younger and younger prospects all over the world. I'm saying we're we're basically, this shit is going to become the running man. Okay. <laughs> pretty soon it's uh, it's within the next 10 years we're gonna go from hey some guys who are coming up and they're gonna fight for the chance for a ufc contract to some convicts trying to get some years knocked off their sentences that's where we're headed it sounds like our minds went very to very similar places because my prediction was going to be is that you're going to see the ufc continue to do more and more of this international expansion for many of the reasons that you just said uh cheaper workforce, also perhaps fewer regulations uh, overseas. And I guess my wild prediction was that eventually the U.S. won't really be the center of the mixed martial arts universe anymore, that the, that Dana White will be living in a tower in Abu Dhabi somewhere. <laughs> uh, perhaps 100 years from now, his brain is just floating in a, in a, a fish tank of fluid atop an a extremely masculine-looking robot. And we're we're only doing events in uh, uncharted waters. Basically, we're out in the sea with only maritime law to follow, and we're just we're keeping all the money while a bunch of nineteen-year-old kids from the Contender Series slug it out for uh, payment of fifty dollars in in uh, Endeavor bucks, which can be redeemed at the Endeavor Company store. Barge fights is what you think we're headed for. Pretty much, yeah. Luxury barge, though. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, will, the, will there be beach towels for sale that say barge fights on them? Yeah, yeah, for 75 bucks, of course. Okay, <laughs> all right. Plus shipping and handling. Uh, let's just, we'll squeeze in one more here. A question from Jizzy B, who writes, Since the UFC is on break next week, perfect time for a rando question. Imagine there is a scenario where you are captured and told you are going to die in front of an entire arena of people slash streamed across millions of streaming services worldwide. Crowd gets to choose death by wrestler or death by striker, but you get to choose the opponent. Top 10 fighter in your weight class or higher. Well, okay, first of all, what's our weight class? Uh, needless to say, if you win, you are automatically set free. Who are you choosing to fight? Okay, to win 
do I have to kill the other guy? Who is a top 10 fighter in Un- my weight class, which I hope I get to cut some Unclear. weight. Unclear. Unclear. I was, I mean, this whole time I was reading this, I was thinking CM Punk, CM Punk, <laughs> choose CM Punk. And then I got to the top 10 part of the weight class. And I was like, damn it. Oh. Um, okay. But the crowd gets to choose death by wrestler or death by striker. I mean, so because we have to choose two guys per weight I, class. Like, I don't, the, this question is very confusing, uh, for a lot of reasons, especially the part where it just casually asked me to imagine there is a scenario where you are captured and told you are going to die in front of an arena. Um, because you know what? There's an argument to be made that if I just bulk up a little bit to heavyweight and get Francis and Ganu to punch me one time in the head, I, you know what? Let's just get it over with. But if I go through all the trouble of cutting weight just to have Colby Covington take fucking 70 minutes to finally wrestle me to death, where I die of like a cardiac event, you know, after he just keeps taking me down over and over again, that does sound worse. So you're just sort of going uh, with the idea that maybe Francis Ngannou will put you out of your misery quickly. Well, if my alternative is to think like the my only hope for both freedom and life itself is to beat a top 10 fighter, don't, I don't like my odds very much. Yeah, yeah. I can't even go top 15. The UFC has the rankings go up to 15. I can't even do that. I got to do top 10. Fucking forget it, man. Yeah, that's... Uh... My wrist lock game isn't that good. You know, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's not that good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe the one hope here is that we don't specify top 10 in which organization. <laughs> so could I take like a top 10 fighter from, uh, you know, bum fights fighting championship? Uh, Box I mean, car Larry. Could I fit, fight that guy? Maybe you're, this is how you're going to fuck around and have to fight Tim Johnson. <laughs> Uh, somebody on the carnival circuit. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail. If you've got a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Uh, You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, I know that privacy is very important to you. It's a fact. I know that because whenever I ask you what you're doing, you're always like, it's private. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. You want to hang out later? Where are you going to be? It's private. I don't want to talk about it. So I know privacy is very important to you. Privacy could also be important to all the little co-maniacs out there. And if you're looking for the best way to surf the World Wide Web in privacy, safeguard your information, uh, all that stuff, your best bet is NordVPN. NordVPN is, among other things, the fastest VPN in the world. Ben, I know you've been using NordVPN for a while. Uh, tell us how your uh, your experiences have been. What's the uh, what's a big advantage to your mind of getting out here with the NordVPN? 
Well, I like uh, it automatically kicking in if you get on a new Wi-Fi somewhere. Say you're at the Jiffy Lube. You know, you're killing time in there. You're getting on their free Wi-Fi. You're getting on the free Wi-Fi down at the gym. NordVPN has you covered there. And, Chad, if I gave you one guess as to which VPN service was referred to as an encryption powerhouse with the biggest VPN bang for your buck by CNET, what would be your guess? I mean, I've heard you say it before. I know it's the NordVPN. It's got to be NordVPN, obviously. Yeah. If you're traveling, if you're using unsecured airport or public Wi-Fi, use NordVPN on your phone, your laptop, your iPad. It protects you from hackers, gives you peace of mind while you're on the road. Listeners to our show can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free plus a bonus gift. It's all uh, completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's uh, NordVPN slash co-main use the code co-main ben we got uh yet more judging controversies to try to uh parse our way through this week especially the main event of this ufc fight night event ketlin Vieira emerges with a split decision over holly holm after a fairly tepid five round main event fight uh I think you could also talk about the uh, Eric Anders fight earlier in the night, another one where we had a very close split decision. Let's focus mainly on the the main event here. Uh, I just feel like we're doing this every week, man. We're doing yep. this every week. We're after the fights. We got to get on Twitter. We got to argue about the criteria. Did they get the right decision? Got to get the, the scorecards side by side. Who had which round for who? Is it all over the map? Is it coherent? Blah, blah, blah. Talk about open scoring, et cetera, et cetera. It's too much, man. It's too much for me. I lack the bandwidth for all of this so-called judging controversy. To my mind, Holly Holm, Ketlin Vieira, very close fight. Not a robbery either way. And uh, I got no problem with Ketlin Vieira walking away with the decision, man. I really don't. It's especially tough when you have a fight that essentially has... Two elements repeated over and over. One, clinching up against the fence and landing some short strikes in close. And two, uh, some sporadic striking at distance. And it just sort of waffles back and forth between those for a lot of the fight. And you get into what do you value more of those? And I think maybe some of the reason why it seems like we find ourselves having these same judging debates over and over again is that it seems like Thanks to, uh, in part, the the tireless work of people like Sean Sheehan trying to tell people, here's what the judging criteria actually say. Maybe we are having this conversation more because people actually feel like they know, whether they do know or not. People feel like they know more what is supposed to be the judging criteria, or at least we're having that conversation more often. And so they, I think some of that is that we just kind of have our antenna up for it. But I also think maybe one of the side effects of that conversation is that people thinking that they know makes them less tolerant of a somebody coming away with a very slightly different scorecard that can change the outcome. Because you look at this fight, like I'm looking at MMADecisions.com, which tracks a lot of media scores and people uh, posting it on Twitter or scoring it live, scoring it for their websites, things like that. And by far, the most common score that you see here is 47-48 in favor of Holly Holm. 
And you see, you know, there's only two people who, uh, you know, Nick Baldwin from the score, Jed Mayshew from MMA Fighting, who have it 48-47 Vieira. Uh, and then you have a couple of people who have it as 49-46 for Holly Holm. But most of the people scored it 48-47 for Holly Holm. But when it's that close, all it takes is for somebody to see one round differently, and there you go, you flip the entire result. And I think that maybe we just... We used to be a little more comfortable with, hey, close fight could go either way, and this is the way that it went, according to the judges. And now, maybe because we feel like we finally sat down and either read what the scoring criteria say or listened to somebody else who has read what the scoring criteria say, maybe now we feel like, no, now we absolutely know. Yeah. And and therefore, we're not willing to hear anything else, even if it's just a slightly different scorecard. Yeah, if you're interested, you can go watch uh, Sean Sheehan's MMA Judging Criteria Explained video uh, from his severe MMA YouTube page, which you can go over there and find it. It's 24 minutes long. He basically step goes step-by-step step through the judging criteria, breaks it down for you. Right now, unless this is a, a new version, this was from February 12th, 2020, that he posted it, it's sitting at under 5,000 views, which feels like a crime to me. Like, I know that there's more than 5,000 people out there arguing about the judge's decision right now. So those people should do themselves a favor, go read the criteria uh, just or watch this video with Sean Sheehan just so you have a better understanding of what, what's actually being scored and how it's being scored in these fights. I guess my problem is kind of bigger than that in MMA, and that is that uh, some of this criteria is still very subjective just in terms of like what is uh, what causes damage, what poses an immediate risk, you know, how significant are some of these strikes. We are, we're still asking for a lot of uh, analysis and subjectivity from our judges. And on top of that, I still, as I have felt for years now, feel like this sport is too nuanced and too diverse in its action to really fit into a a neat whole pigeonhole of like the of 10-8 score or 10-9 scoring, 10-point must scoring. You know, it's just like it feels like a very blunt tool to use to try to score an MMA fight, of which there are so many different kinds, right? It's 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 wild to me that like basically you can have all of these dramatically different fights like Caitlin Vieira, Holly Holm, Michelle Pereira, Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, Park Jun Yoon and Eric Anders, uh, Jonathan Martinez and Vince Morales all on this card, all pretty different fights, but you have to score them all the same way. And you you turn out with like this, this is the only score you can have. It's always, you know, 29, 28, 30, 27, whatever. Uh, it almost feels like we need a whole, some whole different shit for how to score these fights. And I couldn't even begin to tell you what it should be. It just feels like a very blunt tool to try to score these fights. Uh, and I think that's that's a problem, man, because like a lot of these fights are just uh, inherently different from each other. Well, there's also, like when you said at the top that we need an upper limit on how often we can have this conversation. Like I agree with that. I also feel like maybe it would be easier if we weren't, still stuck using the show win money pay format for almost every fighter in the UFC because when it is that close you really feel bad that somebody has to go home with their paycheck cut in half because of the score in one round you know and it would be easier for me to say you know what hey you saw it this way somebody else saw it another way uh it's not like this is a title fight um it's not like it was even that great a fight 
to for us to spend this much time talking about the scoring afterwards. And yet, the thing that stops me from really saying that is that if somebody has to go home with half their money because of it, then you can't really argue that it doesn't matter because it obviously yeah. does matter to them. The thing that always comes up, though, in this discussion is the prospect of open scoring. Do you think this is a case where open scoring would have made any sort of difference? Or do you think that, like, Holly Holm especially, I think, is an interesting kind of case study for something like this. Because as much as I'm a fan of the idea of open scoring, and I just don't see, like, the reasons not to do it have not seemed at all compelling to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yet, I also can't quite talk myself into believing that Holly Holm looks up at the screen or hears from her coaches or however we're doing it, headed into that, that final round, like hearing what the scores actually are, and goes out there and fights a whole lot differently. Yeah. Well, Holly Holm she, is Holly a, Holm knows she can do the Holly Holm stuff. She came to yeah, do. That's what I was going to say. She's a very specific person to use as an example in this in this scenario because it kind of feels like she only ever does one thing. And sometimes it's incredibly frustrating to watch. So does Holly Holm go out there knowing it's either tied or knowing she's down three, one or whatever goes, goes to the, uh, to the final round and approaches it any differently if there's open scoring or the final two rounds, even I have absolutely no idea. Uh, but it does kind of seem odd that so many people are so dead set against open scoring, like just like won't listen to any argument in favor of it. And I'm not out here telling you it would be the best thing since sliced bread or that it would solve all our problems or, you know, nine times out of 10, it might not even impact a fight one way or another. But I don't see a compelling argument for for at least for not at least trying it, for not at least throwing it out there on like a limited basis uh, on some of these smaller events that the UFC does uh, that that aren't going to impact you know, the, the landscape sport wide and just seeing what happens. Like they've been in using it in Invicta. They've been using it. Uh, I think maybe in LFA where they do shows in Kansas city where you can have open scoring. And I haven't seen a ton of fallout either positive or negatively from it. So I can't sit here and tell you it's going to solve all your problems, but it also seems like, man, maybe we should try it just to see how it works. And people just go crazy talking about how, Oh, they tried to do it in boxing and it was a disaster. I don't think it's the same, man. Like, I think we should, uh, I'm open to the idea of just seeing what would happen if we did it. And I don't think it's as difficult to implement as a lot of people make it out to be. And I think it would be, it would be an interesting experiment if nothing else. Uh, let's talk briefly about Holly Holm before we move on from this, because you mentioned like, she's basically got a thing that she does and we've seen it a lot of times in the UFC at this point. And uh, she is always a big, impressive looking athlete and in many of her previous fights, it has felt to me very frustrating to watch Holly Holm fight because you kind of always have this or frequently have this feeling of like, man, if she would just open it up, she could annihilate this person. So I could do do something highlight reel worthy and win this fight in 30 seconds if she wanted to. Holly Holm is 40 years old now and whether or not yeah. she has significantly lost a step, I can't I couldn't tell you. But this is one of the first fights I've ever seen with Holly Holm against Caitlin Vieira where I didn't feel like Holly Holm could just annihilate the other person on her feet if she wanted to because she was mostly uh, catching the worst end of these striking exchanges with Caitlin Vieira. And that, to me, was in some ways a new experience or an infrequent experience, let's say, watching a Holly Holm fight. Well, it did seem like you're right that this was one of the first fights where I saw and I felt like she's noticeably slower 
now and and not as quick and athletic as it looks as she used to be and that the best moments for her were when she could slow the fight way down and you know credit to her I mean, to be 40 and still out here doing it in in the UFC at this level is impressive enough and to be competitive in these fights still and to be a well-rounded enough fighter that you have that other option. How many fighters have we seen who relied on, you know, speed, hand speed, reflexes, quickness or something, or the ability to take a punch and give one back. And when one of those things started to go inevitably with age, as it will, they didn't have a plan B that they could lean on. And that was just pretty much it. And holy hole. Now it seems like a little bit slower on the feet, a little bit slower in some of these striking exchanges. And she has actually developed good wrestling that she can lean on to some extent in these fights to help her out. So like that's kind of rare in itself. She has a good sort of well-roundedness to her. And she has some, at least awareness enough to be like, okay, if it's not working for me here, here's the other place I can take this fight. Um, but also, it does seem like this is like having her stand there afterwards and be like, I really felt in my heart that I won that fight and I don't see how they could possibly deny me that fight. And I was just kind of like, okay, I can see how you feel that way. But I also wonder how, where do you think this path is headed from here? Like, where do you think it goes? Because I don't see it headed anywhere super great. Yeah. The trajectory that you're on right now. Yeah. We've reached again, not to go back to the judging, uh, quote unquote controversy, but it feels like we've reached a weird point in this sport with the clinch game. We saw this in Logan Storley and MVP in Bellator a week or two ago where Logan Storley couldn't really get Bella or couldn't really get MVP down. And so we had all these kind of stalemate positions against the fence where he was digging for a double leg, but couldn't finish it in this fight. Holly Holm in many occasions got Ketlin Vieira up against the fence in this clinch position where she would kind of control one of her wrists. And then I think like have an underhook maybe. And Ketlin Vieira couldn't get out of it. Couldn't get away from it. And Holly Holm would sit there and she would near in the thigh and she would, you know, punch her in the face here and there. But that was kind of it. There was no next step, it seemed like, from Holly Holm. And it kind of feels like we have reached this point in scoring and judging where they're not going to give you much credit for that anymore, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But I also kind of feel like we've reached this weird point where some people feel like if that's what you're doing, the other person is winning, which I also don't necessarily think is true. Okay. Now, in this fight, Ketlin Vieira, I think, was getting had the most impactful strikes. She was uh, controlling the stand-up game, getting the better of those exchanges for the most part. But in those instances where Holly Holm like clinches up against the fence, and I understand with the, the way the criteria works, you score, you know, whoever gets the best of the striking and the best of the grappling first, and then the, all the other stuff doesn't really count, uh, which, again, seems odd to me. But uh, just because Holly Holm is controlling Ketlin Vieira up against the fence, I don't feel like that's a real argument in favor of Ketlin Vieira. But I also feel uh, like at this point in 2022, there's got to be a next step. If that's your yeah. offense. Well, I think what it happens is like it creates a psychological thing for people where if you are completing that first stage of the wrestling game, basically the entry and getting your hands on them, and you're not completing the next step of the wrestling game, like getting them down, getting them into a position where you can get some offense going, 
It makes you look like you have been stymied in what you are attempting to do. And I think with whether people realize it or not, it makes us look at the other person and be like, they would be doing more if you just get off them. If you if you if you would stop preventing a fight from happening, they would be fighting. And therefore, we're bored and we're going to blame you for it because you're the one stopping it from happening. And there are times where I think that that is somewhat justified, like that MVP Logan Storley fight where that's absolutely what he was doing because anytime there was a fight happening out there, it was he seemed like he was in danger of being knocked out at any moment. And there are times where it's less justified, where somebody's like their game plan is I want to get them in a clinch up here and chip away at them and wear them down that way. And that should be a thing that you're allowed to do. That's a viable game plan if you're if you're able to do it. But it also if you're able to just do a part of it and we know that there's clearly another step to this that you're not getting to, then it makes it very clear to us that what you want to do isn't really working. Yeah. Well, uh, Caitlin Vieira now has won two fights in a row. Like I said before, she's on a little bit of a mini Legends ass-whipping tour here with wins over Misha Tate and well, Holly You're Holm. not going to call that an ass-whipping. I'm not going to sit here <laughs> and listen to you call that an ass-whipping. She's on a Legends just barely eating out the decisions <laughs> tour. Uh, we have a situation where Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes are engaged in a season of tough ostensibly to have them rematch for the women's bantamweight title at the end of it. So whoever keeps winning fights is probably going to have to keep winning fights before they get a title shot here. But Cullen Vieira in the mix, solidly in the mix at this point. All right, Ben, let's go ahead and we'll do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what is your, are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, you know, actually maybe you want to go first because I think my, are you fucking kidding me? Plays off of yours. Oh, okay. Very well, then. Uh, Well, we had a very weird situation here, Ben, with the aftermath of Michel Pierre's win against Santiago Ponzinibbio, where at first he accused Jorge Masvidal of, quote unquote, sliding into the DMs of his Mm -hmm. wife. And then Jorge Masvidal circled back to be like, no, 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 finger wag pro wrestling heel finger wag right in your face. It was actually your wife who slid into my DMS hashtag marriage counseling. Yeah. Hashtag marriage counselor. Is he saying that they need a marriage counselor or is he calling himself the marriage counselor? Whatever. It all seems to be a lot of a much ado situation about a very bland series of, of DMS that uh, Michelle Pereira's wife has later explained, I don't really think there's any there, there, man. And are you fucking kidding me? We got to do this? Like, it's it's number one, weird for Michelle Pereira to do this in the first place. Weird for Jorge Masvidal to post the totally innocuous screenshot of it. And weird for Michelle Pereira's wife to circle back with her own statement about it. Are you fucking kidding me? What are we even doing here? This doesn't seem to be anything at all. It also, it gets some, some shit about people's DMS way up in the headlines, uh, after a fight night, which tells you maybe something about how people felt about the action that was going on. at said UFC fight night, but Chad, my, are you fucking kidding me? And Jorge Masvidal's response after Michel Pierre calls him out and says, like, oh, you know, he sent her this DM. I want to find out what he means by that. And he replies, 
his tweet, quote, how crazy a world and how far <laughs> has society fallen that this idiot at UFC Piera would use his wife to hopefully one day get a paycheck and create a fake narrative to try and get a fight with me when clearly he sees she slid in my DM. Wishing you guys the best. Hashtag marriage counselor. First of all, that's not a very effective marriage counselor if that's what he's suggesting. But Chad, how crazy a world how far has society fallen? Yeah, let's let's not make a uh, let's not make a bigger deal here than we need to, right? Society, so, the fibers of society are unraveling. We're looking out at a world, you know. There's war in Ukraine, climate change that we're continuing to refuse to deal with. There's still a pandemic going on that we're acting like it's not going on. Motherfuckers talking about some monkeypox out there now, Chad. Mm-hmm. But what really drives home the point that the world has lost its mind to Jorge Masvidal is that Michel Pierre would try to use this situation to get a fight with him. Mind you, this is the same guy who has an ongoing open court case about running up on a rival who beat him in a cage fight to sucker punch him basically while disguised while wearing a hoodie and a mask to catch him coming out of a, a, a the steakhouse. Yeah. Very odd position to be at for Jorge Masvidal to bemoan the unraveling of society immediately after uh, <laughs> jumping Colby Covington outside the poppy steak. And suddenly when this happens, he is, he turns into the boomer guy on Facebook being like, these kids doorbell ditched me. I tell you, society is crumbling. Yeah. The social contract, the social contract has ceased to exist. Yeah. Are you kidding me? He's he's one step away from blaming this on wokeness and then looking like your uncle in somebody's Facebook comments. Just like, come on, fucking kidding me, Jorge Masvidal? The world has gone crazy. Just lost its damn mind. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, when last we heard from you, you mentioned that your wife was out of town on Friday night. Eagle FC was going to be live and free on the FlexCast over there. And Junior Dos Santos was going to do it up with Jorgen DeCastro in the main event. First off, I got to know, did you end up flying with the Eagle? Maybe pop open a couple soda pops? You bet your ass I did. Okay. Okay. Then I have to imagine it was... A little bit of a downer moment for you when Junior Dos Santos, who's looking pretty good, you know, looking young and spry in there in moments, goes in there, throws a punch. Damn if a trick shoulder don't pop out. Yeah. It's like you're, you know, you're you're doing the yard work on a Sunday afternoon, feeling good about yourself. And then your back goes out and you remember, oh, shit, I'm old. Yeah, it was too bad for Junior, too, because uh, while he clearly wasn't a, the prime Junior Dos Santos of old out there in the cage against Jorgen DeCastro, he was winning the fight. He was controlling it. He was avoiding most of uh, Jorgen DeCastro's power shots, although I will say Jorgen DeCastro also looked uh, like he had quick hands and was out there with bad intentions, like trying to end this thing. But the most impactful strikes of the fight had been 
uh, the leg kicks of Junior Dos Santos. I believe we were into the third round of this thing. Uh, yeah, we were cruising on this. Junior Dos Santos less than five minutes away, almost certainly, from picking up the unanimous decision win here. A, a win that they that the you know online uh, reports and rumors are might have put him in position to be the main event of a co-promotion effort between Eagle FC and Bellator, perhaps fighting Fedor Emelianenko. So you could argue maybe a lot on the line here for Junior Dos Santos. You could also argue maybe this finish didn't necessarily scuttle those plans, but that seems like a different discussion. Uh, and then, yeah, he he throws his shoulder out of its socket, throwing his own punch. Not anything Jorgen yeah. Castro really did, but Junior Dos Santos throws a punch, shoulder comes out of joint, and uh, you know you can, it's academic at that point. That fight's over. So it was a bummer uh, end to the Eagle FC. Bummer to see more bad stuff happen to likable character Junior Dos Santos. And in fact, the Eagle found out Ben the the trials and tribulations of booking these fights with somewhat older uh, MMA figures because your co-main event between Hector Lombard and Tiago Santos or Tiago Silva also ended. In mm-hmm. really unsatisfying faction, they had to declare a no contest uh, after Tiago Silva landed an illegal knee on Hector Lombard a couple minutes into the second round. So both the last two fights on this thing, and I don't know if you had your calendar marked for Hector Lombard uh, versus uh, Tiago Silva. God bless you. Wasn't necessarily <laughs> the thing I was looking forward to the most, but you know, you're when your main event and your co-main both end this way. Ooh, that's that's some adversity if you're if you're promoter. Habib Nurmagomedov. Well, in a true Weirdsmobile fight like Hector Lombard versus Thiago Silva, maybe a no contest due to illegal knee is the only way it could end. Yeah. You know? Maybe yeah, that's enough. what everybody should have suspected. But you're right that when you have your your thing is, okay, our main event is a former UFC heavyweight champion several years removed from his glory days and has been sort of put out to pasture and we're going to revive him, put him in there. And then he hurts himself throwing a punch. It does make you step back and be like, well, maybe there are some downsides to getting a whole bunch of guys who are close to getting the senior citizen discount at the early bird special, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit of a weird scene in the cage. Cause Jorgen DeCastro at first kind of celebrated like he had won the super bowl. <laughs> and then he circled back. He circled back to his credit. They're, they're, they're saying like obviously he doesn't want to win that way and you're looking at him and he's like i totally wanted to win anyway i will take this and be thrilled about it he circled back after and was kind of like i was just working through my frustrations a lot of emotions in the cage out there uh junior dos santos is a guy i've looked up to for a long time i would never celebrate an injury like that kind of looked like he did but <laughs> hey i mean Come on, you find out that not only did you win, you avoided getting your head knocked off by Junior Dos Santos. I'd be fucking thrilled too. Like, especially if I felt like maybe the fight wasn't going that great for me. Maybe if it looked like he was on his way to winning and then suddenly the guy slips on a banana peel. Fucking Yahoo. I'm excited about that too if I'm Jorgen DeCastro. Yeah. Uh, To my mind, I tweeted about this on Friday night. This was not the outcome anybody wanted, and it was rough to see Junior go out like that, a guy who has already been pretty honest about his his uh, struggles and uh, things that have happened in his MMA, MMA career that have made him feel sad. It was hard to watch him go out like this again, but like 
I'm saying, man, still you, give me the Fedor fight anyway. Like this didn't, hell this didn't, yeah, this didn't wreck it for me, man. If if Scotty Cox and Habib are still gonna go out and have that dinner at one of San Jose's finest brew pubs, uh, and they can put together a deal, I'm still all about it. I would still watch the shit out of that fight. Yeah, and you know what? It's just gonna be fun for us to relive some some good, happy, nostalgic MMA memories. And if if it should happen that they get in there and one guy's rheumatiz acts up and somebody else's uh, you know knee blows out and we we both have to get you know wheeled uh, to the ER together, so fucking be it, man. I, I I'm willing to take that risk. Let's patch them up. Let's get them in there. I mean, the cage going to be smelling like Ben Gay uh, and like, mothballs. I don't give a damn. Let's just do it up. Let's have ourselves a good time. And both those organizations could use the boost from a little co-promotion, I think. Yeah. I mean, the best part for for Bellator and Scott Coker is going to be just having Habib. Just having Habib there. Scott Coker can throw Master his arm promoter. around him. Yeah. Yeah. Throw his arm around him. Uh, you know. And maybe at Dana White in the tweets, just be like, just here with my friend Habib Nurmagomedov at Dana White. That's going to be the best part uh, for Bellator. If I was Scott Coger, though, I'd be like, we'll go ahead. We'll handle the production. You know, we'll, Bellator and Showtime. We'll go ahead. We'll, we'll, you don't have to worry about it, Habib. Uh, so we'll we, the flex cast? No. Yeah, we'll just, we go ahead, book something else that weekend for the flex cast arena. And uh, we'll take care of it. Bellator will handle the production and the broadcast team. But the FlexCast, Chad, I don't... Hey, man, no hate for the FlexCast. If you're at home on a Friday night and you can remember your password to FlexCast.com <laughs> or whatever it is, ain't nothing wrong with watching a little Eagle FC. You're going to hear uh, Chael Sonnen and uh, Henry Cejudo engage in some very speculative discourse about what's going on out there in the fights. Henry Zahudo is going to refer to Chael Sonnen as Uncle Chael approximately 10,000 times. So if you're if you're taking a drink at home every time he says that, you are fucked up by the time the main event rolls around. But uh, ain't nothing wrong with the Eagle, man. I love flying with the Eagle. I'm just saying, if I'm Scott Coker, I'm a little bit like, I got this one, Habib. You just put on your nicest suit. Show up, we'll do a photo op, and you know we'll we'll uh, we'll let Bellator handle the the production stuff. Sounds good to me. Also, if I if I'm Fedor sitting at home in Stario School, I don't necessarily hate what I saw from Junior Dos Santos out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, except for the part where you're like, man, these these people don't think I'm gonna go out there and fight three whole rounds, do they? Because I'm <laughs> I'm throwing those overhands, and we're going home one way or another. Yeah. Within the first five. Just work on slipping that punch. Slip that punch. Maybe you win by injury TKO again. There you go. Work on your blocks. All right. That is going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Hey. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, Ben, 47-year-old Anderson Silva out there in an exhibition boxing match against Bruno Machado. I believe we were in the United Arab Emirates. I think this thing had to be postponed at one point uh, due to a death of, of a, uh, one of the leaders there of the United Arab Emirates. Remember this? There was some stuff talking about this was supposed to go down on a helipad. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. when that was the case? I think we moved it. Didn't look to me like they were fighting on a helipad. They lost and me it, when I heard it wasn't going to be on a helipad anymore. And What's case, even the though, point, you know? Anderson Silva doesn't get officially get a win because we're doing an exhibition thing here where uh, if Machado made it the distance, which he did, we weren't going to declare a winner. But we all know Anderson Silva is basically the winner here, man. He went out there, boxed this guy up over a course of several two-minute rounds and uh, gets the victory here. At one point, I'm sure you've seen the video on the internet. Anderson Silva just going mad flurry of punches to the body and then with the overhand right, knocks this guy down. Like I said at the top of the show, man, I love to see it. Anderson Silva is out here appearing to enjoy himself. Uh, it's talking about doing a jujitsu tournament next. So he's living his best life, man. I got nothing but positive things to say about Anderson Silva's post-UFC boxing slash grappling career. I hope he is doing every damn thing that makes him happy, and I got nothing but love for him. I tell you what, if he's going to do a jiu-jitsu tournament next, he should do it Josh Barnett style and just roll up to some jiu-jitsu tournament in a community college somewhere. Yeah. Don't do not do a jiu-jitsu tournament by being like, I'm going to go to one of the big ones where a bunch of serious... Like, roll up in there in the master's division <laughs> Yeah. of just somebody's jiu-jitsu tournament. Don't tell them uh, ahead of time. It'll just be like, you know, the Moncton Open or something, and Anderson Silva shows up and is like, what's up, guys? Yeah, looking forward to a spirited day of competition out here. Good to see you all out here. Yeah, uh, people are going to all... look at the bracket and be like, I'm up against A. De Silva. Never heard of him. <laughs> Where is he? Is he here? He's like, yes, I'm a freshman in general studies. I have not declared a major yet, but I'm ready for our grappling competition. You're like, is that, that motherfucker, that looks like, no, it couldn't be. It couldn't. And then he hits you with a flying triangle choke right off the bat. And you're like, God damn it. Now, Anderson Silva, especially for a gentleman of his age, continues to look pretty good in a pair of boxing gloves. Seems like he's just enjoying the hell out of himself, which I really appreciate. And yet, I can't think of a single reason why we shouldn't have ourselves an Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul boxing match. And I know, I know, Chad, the 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 timeline has already seized on Jake Paul's 
reluctance to call out Anderson Silva uh, in the, you know, he said something afterwards, this one where he was, but he kind of diminishes it. Cause he was like, I'd beat Anderson Silva and Floyd Mayweather on the same day or something, which just makes you want to go at what, <laughs> at what would you, you know, you can't be talking about boxing. I know you can't be talking about any of the martial arts at this point, but you know, Dana White likes to get out there and make fun of him and be like, oh, you see, he's not calling out Anderson Silva. He's not doing that. Everybody else is like, oh, yeah, you want to go after a retired uh, or like a old UFC fighter? Why don't you take on Anderson Silva? Um, and yet, wouldn't that be just kind of what everybody needs? Because Jake Paul needs something where it seems like you're stepping up a little bit, something that seems like it's a little scarier for you. The la- the second fight against Tyron Woodley, even though you got the knockout, didn't sound like it did absolutely spectacular numbers for him or anything. Anderson Silva is one where, man, you know if you heard Jake Paul is going to box Anderson Silva this weekend, you'd be like, fuck, I have to watch it. Yeah. I mean, and we that's have his to watch whole, it. that's his whole brand is people being like, God damn it. I guess I have to watch that shit. This son of a bitch. Like, and that is how you would achieve that at this point. And there's not, there's fewer and fewer fights that would successfully achieve it. Cause you gotta be, you gotta make it look like you're, you're progressing somehow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave Floyd Mayweather out of the conversation for a moment. Let's take it one fight at a time for Jake Paul, one fight in a night at a time. Uh, I feel we have underestimated him at our own peril as a uh, subculture here. So I'm not going to pick a winner as to who would win between Jake Paul and Anderson Silva. I feel like you're right that it would be a more legitimate opponent than say one eyed Michael Bisping or uh, some of the other guys that, uh, that Jake Paul has, has called out. He seems to have settled on uh, the lesser fury, Tommy fury, that that's who we're going to fight They're eyeing an August date. I think to have a fight, who knows if Fury will be the opponent. I agree that like from a competition standpoint, it would kind of make sense for Jake Paul to fight Anderson Silva. Part of me has seen his reaction and, and has asked myself, perhaps he does not want that smoke. Uh, so who knows? But at the same time, do you think like it would also deprive Jake Paul of his best uh, promotional tactic which is basically to talk shit and needle the other person until all of the mma people get super mad and have to watch because it doesn't seem like anderson silva would be a willing participant in that it seems like jake paul could do his photoshops where he's the bug guy uh he's gonna spray your house for spiders and and take care of them and anderson silva would probably just smile and nod along and then yeah but you don't need anderson silva necessarily to take the bait in order for it to work on MMA people. All you would need to do is to go out there and be like, oh, you guys love this dude, huh? This guy's like a god to you guys. You you guys, you worship this guy. Uh, check it out Saturday night when I knock him out. How are you going to feel then? And people would be like, how dare you? Show some respect, Jake Paul. You know, people would fall right into that trap. You won't, You don't need Anderson Silva to play along for that because, you know, Anderson Silva, he's going to be like, Jake is good fighter. Jake, Jake, I respect Jake. You know, he sounds like he's working good time. on your Anderson Silva. <laughs> it's you know, a shame it, that your Anderson Silva impression has come this far just in time for his retirement. I know it is. It's it's, it's a cruel, cruel business. But that you know that that's how Anderson Silva would play it. But Jake Paul, he just he doesn't need to get a rise out of Anderson Silva. He needs to get a rise out of us. And he has figured out, I think he's really good at knowing how and when to troll the MMA people. And that is how you would troll it. Because we would all be like, 
Jake Paul does not deserve a win in any combat sport over Anderson Silva. And the only way you would stand a chance of getting one is if you get him now at the very end of his athletic usefulness. If you could get him then and in your... The, the this this discipline, which is not his original discipline, then maybe you would stand a chance. And we would hate the unfairness of it that you could actually walk around saying you beat Anderson fucking Silva. And that's what he could play on. And for Anderson Silva, you get to keep going to the dance. You get a really good payday out of it. You're still relevant. You get to look across the aisle at Dana White and be like, oh, hey. Remember when you just sort of like cast me aside, told me you didn't want to see me fight anymore. I needed to go home, shut up, stay there and acted like I wasn't anybody. Look at me over here. I'm going to make a huge payday to fight this fucking YouTube kid. Not bad. Not bad work if you can get it. It works for everybody. Yeah. What if Jake Paul did knock him out, though? What then? He would be somehow even more insufferable about it. That's true. But that's... That's the upside for him is like, it is a riskier fight than a lot of these other people, you know, a lot a riskier fight than a, uh, a newly hip replaced Ben Askren. And yet then you could walk around saying that you fought Anderson Silva one way or another, however it went. And, uh, that'd make tons of damn money. Just a ridiculous, depressing for the rest of us amount of money for yeah. that shit. It would be uh, very awesome to see Jake Paul lose to Anderson Silva and then be like, well, I mean, come on. It was Anderson Silva. Like, he's very good, you guys. Come on. He's the greatest of all time. What did you expect? And then Anderson Silva would be like, all right, uh, Orlando next weekend. I hear that there's a jiu-jitsu tournament happening down at the high school. Yeah. I will see you guys there. Mm-hmm. Going to go down to Florida Atlantic. I heard I, they have an open weight tournament there. I will in the be competing center. in both gi and no gi divisions. I'm entering as a beginner. All right, let's go ahead and do just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, you knew it was going to happen eventually, especially with Habib running around here, out living this promoter life, being in front of cameras and microphones and whatnot. Sooner or later, somebody was going to ask Habib what he thinks about Cain Velasquez's legal situation. And so here he is, I believe talking to TMZ, Habib Nurmagomedov says, anybody in the world who respects himself, who loves his family, is going to do same thing exactly. Come on, nobody's going to think of law or something when you have something about your family. You have to protect your family. If animals protect their family, of course, humans are going to protect their family. They talk about law, court, about jail, but I don't understand these things. This is not fair. He's sitting in jail, another guy is outside. What about other guy? But this guy in jail too. He's more dangerous for people than Cain Velasquez. So I guess this week, Chad, I'm just saying, maybe Habib isn't the guy we wanted to ask about this. Exactly. You know how Stephen Morocco, we were talking about, did a really good story where he talked to a bunch of veteran defense attorneys about what exactly is the legal challenge that Cain Velasquez's team is going to face here. The, The difficulty of trying to make the case that you went and tried to shoot this guy because of something he was accused of doing, even though you shot another guy, and even though that case still hasn't played out, so the judge may not even allow you to bring that up as a potential defense. That was an interesting perspective because it was stuff, I guess, I have to admit, I had not even considered he was going to challenge and going to have Khabib where he's like anybody in the world who respects himself would have done exactly the same thing and you're like whoa I don't I don't know man I'm just saying I think I think maybe there were some other options I mean even if that other option was just 
If you're going to shoot somebody, make sure you're shooting the person that you wanted to shoot in the first place. I'm just saying. Seems like a uh, Habib, you, you roll up in here and you ask him about the, the, the legal situation of one Cain Velasquez. What you get might not be the most nuanced legal perspective. I'm just saying. I'm just saying uh, trying to murder people who have been accused of crimes is bad, actually. They talk about law, court, about jail, but I don't understand these things. You know what? <laughs> that's that's where I agree. With. I I've, if, I feel like that is true. That is a true yeah. statement. Uh, well, I don't mean to make this the uh, Michel Pierre all the time show over here, Ben, but did you notice at the beginning of this fight with Santiago Ponzinibbio that John Anik uh, rolled up in here as the play-by-play man and just real casually mentioned as we were getting down to action that Michel Pierre used to be a blacksmith? Yeah, he did say something about blacksmith. What the fuck? <laughs> I run to the internet immediately and Google Michelle Pereira blacksmith and you know what comes up nothing not a damn thing so here I am Monday afternoon almost 48 hours removed from this event and I got nothing but questions I got nothing but questions about the blacksmithing career of Michelle Pereira so I guess this week I'm just saying MMA media this is a challenge to you Uh somebody get me the Michelle Pereira blacksmithing story i want all the ins and outs did he do art did he make swords was he a battle axe guy what what's the deal with michelle piera and blacksmithing i want a blow by blow account spare no detail Five thousand words give it to me it's mine i'm just saying chad dunnis has laid down the gauntlet somebody some working journalist out there do your job (laughs) <laughs> Do your damn job and get me the Michelle Pierre blacksmithing story. Just saying. I mean, I just went to check his Wikipedia page. Usually you get a personal life section that at least tells you like what football teams he supports or whether or not he enjoys listening to music. And no such section on yeah. Michelle Pierre's page. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if maybe his blacksmithing career was top secret and uh, maybe John Anik let the cat out of the back. Maybe we weren't supposed to know about it. Seems like maybe they don't want us to know about the history of Michel Pierre, which may or may not have involved making swords. What are they hiding? That's my question. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We're going to slide out of your DMS prayer hands emoji. Check us out for the rest of the week over there at patreon.com. We'll be there three more times this week. Uh, a patronage tier for every budget. Jump on board the team. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Look, if I, if I found out late in our friendship that you used to be a blacksmith, that you had that kind of power, that kind of ability, and you weren't, you weren't using it, you never once made me any sort of metallurgic up like item as a birthday christmas gift i'd be so fucking pissed off can you imagine you find out scenarios where you could have used a mail vest chain mail vest and here i am not making it for you unreal oh plus like even just a little stuff where i'd be like i'd find out like so when you heard that i had a problem with the muffler on my car and here you were with blacksmithing equipment somewhere in your garage and blacksmithing experience and you just just sat on it didn't say a word what the hell man i would consider that to be a dick move myself <laughs> <laughs>